This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Are Liverpool back? No. But then they were playing Real Madrid, who are incredible in the Champions League. A wild game at Anfield. Liverpool flying at the start. Darwin Nunes with the grace of a ballerina. Thibaut Courtois with the grace of a newly born foal. But then it fell apart. Half a yard for Vinicius. Alisson returning the favour. And then a second half in which Real just purred. Let me check on Luka Modric's status. Yes, not tired. Elsewhere, the form team in Europe, Napoli, take a commanding lead home from Frankfurt. Victor Osserman and the Georgian Messi once again scintillating. Also today, Javi Gracia at Leeds. Is that good? Barcelona paying a referee millions of euros. That doesn't sound good. Gareth Ainsworth tugs at the Wickham heartstrings and big news that the pod improves your golf game. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening, welcome. Hi Max. Hello Archie Rintut. Hey Max. Hello Jonathan Faduba. Good day. And we've managed to get a part one cameo out of Sid Lowe. Welcome, Sid. Hi, Max. It's going to be a long part one. Michael says, is it any surprise that Florentino Perez wants to play Liverpool 37 times per season? <laughs> Kyle says, can those Liverpool fans be reimbursed for the 2am fireworks? Graham, are they still magical nights at Anfield if the away team hammers the home team? And Joa Kim, who's been in touch before on this subject, I'm still a Liverpool fan and I would still prefer to hear your favourite memory of Jeremy Beadle. I'm afraid we're going to talk about the game. I mean, it was a wild game, Sid. And the thing about Madrid is is the calmness. They're 2-0 down. And yet after that, they didn't seem to have waves and waves and attacks in this game, but they still won 5-2. The word that everyone was using last night was pegada, which which basically means the ability to deliver a knockout blow, to, 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 to land a punch. So you, you don't necessarily need to be winning the fight, but you but you can land that punch. And of course, yes, they land it five times. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's five, five goals out of seven shots. Uh, so it was a pretty high percentage of of success. I was thinking this last year, of course, last year we were trying to work out um, kind of how on earth it had happened in the Champions League. And of course, you can't do an analysis of what happened last year without talking about good fortune, without talking about moments that could have gone the other way. And, and, and sometimes it seems almost stupid to try and come up with an explanation for something that, that could, with the very slightest of change, have gone different ways at so many different points. But one of the things that that I think certainly was, was true last year and is true about Real Madrid is that there's this combination I think of of the confidence of knowing that you're good enough, you know, that knowing that fundamentally when the moment comes, you've got good enough players to to take advantage of it. And maybe the humility to not think you're so good that it's not right when you get overrun. You know, the humility to understand that there will be periods in games when the other team is better than you and that that doesn't need to sink you, that that doesn't need to make you think, oh my God, we're awful today, that's the end of it. And and I think because, you know, we talk a lot about, and, and you mentioned him there, Luka Modric, who's an absolutely brilliant player. You look at last year's Champions League run, you think, and yet there were lots of moments in that when him and the rest of his midfield were overrun by the other team. But there was this kind of, 
I suppose, as I say, this either this humility or this confidence or this arrogance, and, and I know it's contradictory to talk about humility and arrogance in the same thing, but I think it's there, to sort of accept the fact that there will be moments when you're not as good as the other team. But when your moment comes, you take it. And so you look like, for example, over last year's Champions League, and you think about that incredible Modric curled pass on the outside of his foot, or you think about his run through the middle of the midfield, or you think about those moments when there's the chance and it just gets taken. And of course, what that leads you to, I sometimes think, is something very basic, which is they're very good at football. And and and, I, and and sometimes for all the analysis, you need someone who can do what Vinicius did in that first goal. Now, I think that shot may or may not have taken a tiny, tiny deflection, but it's still a, a, complete, a completely brilliant, brilliant goal. And, and I think that's kind of it. They've got really good players is part of it. I mean, you must have seen Luka Modric play so yeah. many times, Sid. You know, that moment when he burst past... Batetic, yeah. who is half his age, yeah. to set up the attack for Benzema's goal. Is he exactly the same player? It feels to me like he is no different. He's just doing the same thing. I think I think you're broadly right. I mean, there are the occasional games where you think, okay, he's he's, he's not quite really there. But no, absolutely. I mean, have you? I don't know if you've ever seen Luka Modric up close. Luka Modric has the most ridiculous calf muscles you've ever seen. They are like, they're, they're perfectly round. They're like two little cannonballs on the back that someone has stuck on the back of his legs. Um, and, and it's true that that sort of, I don't know what to call it. I suppose you could almost call it a shuttle run, that sort of 10 or 15 metre run that he does through the middle of the midfield, which just basically opens everything up and then suddenly the pitch looks different to him. He still does that so well and so often. There was, I must admit, I've now lost track of the games. I think... I think it was Saturday's game away at Osasuna. Um, and in the pre-match press conference, Ancelotti, who'd kind of been trying to sort of slightly rotate Cruz and Modric a little bit, he said, uh, yeah, Modric has asked me to play, so he's going to play. And, and you sort of think, well, that, <laughs> that's the thing. And we, there's been a lot of talk. The, the dominant kind of discussion about Real Madrid this year, well, there's been a handful of dominant discussions, but the dominant purely footballing discussion about Real Madrid this year has been about this idea of transition through the midfield. And, you know, this new generation and who plays now because you've you've got Cruz and Modric of the age that they're at. You've got the fact that Casemiro is gone. Obviously, you've got Camavinga and Chalmeni and, and Valverde coming in, the, 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 them pursuing Jude Bellingham as well. And what do you do with Cruz and Modric? And, of course, the answer is, when they're fit, what you do is you put them in the team still. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned Vinicius Jr. there. Jonathan, that... that- Opening goal by him is it's just elite. I know Liverpool could do it were a bit passive, but that is elite level centre forward play, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's a conversation to be had in terms of is he one of the you know, where where does he stand at the moment in the in the top top players in the world? I know he's kind of emerged and had controversy around him, but he's he's just such a good player and it sort of feels like I mean, I don't know if Sid would agree with me, but it feels like he's starting to become the the the, the one of the key parts of this Madrid team. Um, alongside the sort of Modric years, and you know, obviously Cruz was it didn't didn't start yesterday, but it really feels like Vinicius has gone to another level in the, in the last sort of year or so um, since that Champions League final, maybe. And of course, that goal was incredible, just to give them the lifeline. Um, second goal, comical in the way it just bounced off. Uh, obviously, the mistake. Just in counter-attacking situations, he's so good. I, you know, I, I think there's a feeling that maybe Real Madrid could look for a new striker at some point um, if Benzema is getting on a, a little bit, although he continues to be incredible as he was last night. But it feels as though the, there's a sort of a general slight passing of the baton to, to Vinicius, who, who's just unbelievable down that left-hand side. If you look at the second leg, I mean, you know, I think both Ancelotti and Klopp pretty much said it's nearly done because even if we could score 
three or four goals just on the counter attack. They're so they're so good on the counter attack Real Madrid, um, with the pace of Vinicius and, and his ability in one v one situations. Um, you know, he, tend, he, he gave he gave Trent nightmares at times, um, and Joe uh, Gomez as well. So yeah, I, I think he's a really top player. It's, it's a shame that there's so much talk around him for off the field stuff. Um, it seems in Spain because he's just such a good player um, on the field. David says, uh, should all European, I presume is a Liverpool fan, says, should all, Liv- uh, should all European matches be 14 minutes long to help with fixture congestion? Barry, it did feel quite different, didn't it, after 14 minutes? Yeah, um, but it was a brilliant start from Liverpool. And they probably couldn't believe their luck, but just watching it, I felt, yeah, this, this, is, this isn't over. There, I, I was pretty confident Real Madrid would win this game, and I'm not talking with the benefit of 2020 hindsight but I think people read a little bit too much into those wins over Everton and Newcastle I mean Everton offered nothing and were very easy for Liverpool to Liverpool to beat and then they travelled to a, a Newcastle team that hasn't been playing particularly well recently and won but Newcastle still created a lot of chances three or four good scoring opportunities against Liverpool when Liverpool were down to 10 men They've conceded three or more goals eight times already this season. That's almost a little under a quarter of their games. You know, Real Madrid, Wolves, Brighton twice, Brentford, Man City, Arsenal, Napoli. That, that a lot of times to concede a lot of goals. It's very uncharacteristic. But it was a brilliant start. The fans must have been absolutely delighted, but they were absolutely humiliated after that, I thought. Archie, I, I know you were the other game, but you'll have seen, you know, the main parts of this. And like the Nunes finish is, is so good. But Courtois, on the other hand, I mean, of the goalkeeping mistakes, the Courtois one was my favourite. I mean, it looks amazing in super slow-mo that that is an elite athlete. Yeah, it, it felt like, I mean, this was the Champions League final of 2018. And it did feel like Loris Carrier's tribute night, particularly with the League Cup final coming up on Sunday and him actually coming back to the four. I, I feel I feel a bit sorry for him as well because <laughs> what enough what a thing to be thrown into. But that Courtois mistake, it, it was very Sunday League. Just I think the way that you yeah. see him almost body pop, like he he doesn't have <laughs> control of his body. It just looks so unnatural when he just kind of he loses such control. And I think for it to happen to Courtois who we've seen make some of the most unbelievable saves in all of these Real Madrid comebacks, particularly over the last year. It, I think that that might have unsettled some Real Madrid fans, even briefly. Because, and I, I think that was the quality that, like, look, okay, sure, Real Madrid came back and won this game. But you can't tell me that there was a part of you that was thinking, aha, now they're going to be caught out at 2-0 when Courtois, even Courtois is making the mistake. I think that was almost kind of like the last reveal in in kind of Real Madrid being like, oh, look, here we are about to make a mistake. Can you believe that this time is going to be the time? And Liverpool thought, well, yeah, I mean, even Courtois is making mistakes. Surely this is it. And they're like, nah, actually, don't worry. What, what now for Liverpool, Jonathan? Like, if we presume this tie is over, which we probably should, I don't think Real Madrid have lost at home this season and we mentioned how good they are on the counter-attack even if Liverpool do score like they've got to go for fourth place but I just wonder how like how big how big a crisis does this become well I think if you know anyone's watching the sort of the post-match analysis with sort of Steven Gerrard Michael Owen Peter Crouch it it felt extremely funereal the way they were sort of reacting to it it was very sombre after the game it is 
probably over, but I, I'm not sure it's definitely over. I think there's still something to be played for if Liverpool can sort of pull off some sort of miracle. It's very unlikely. I don't know why I don't feel like it's definitely over, if that makes sense. Do, do, you, know what, do you know what I suspect? This is, because this is Real Madrid, right? Liverpool are going to score three. And it's going to be three. It's going to be level five five on aggregate, and then in ninety fifth minute, Real Madrid will then score, and they'll go. Sorry, lads. Yeah, exactly. I sort of feel that could, exactly. That's. I don't feel like it's over to be honest. In some sort of way, I, I, I agree with Sid. I could see Liverpool sort of maybe going into a two 0 lead, and then it's nervy, and then Real Madrid sort of come back. So, I, you know, I think eventually Real Madrid will go through, but I don't think it's kind of like you know, I, I wouldn't expect like a four 0 in the next game in the night nine two on aggregate, but you never know. Um, I still think Liverpool will finish in the top four, to be honest. Uh, I think the teams around them can't get that consi- run of consistency. If you look around, sort of Brentford, Brighton, um, Newcastle. Fulham especially, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just don't feel that they'll put that run of games together to get to get the top four, especially with Jota, um, Luis Diaz all sort of on their way back for Mino. So I do f- I do still feel like Liverpool are the strongest contender for that top four spot. But it's a bit of a chastening season for them in general, really. It's... Uh, it was so open in the midfield. I wasn't, I mean, Pacheci, I think he's a good young talent, but it did feel like he was kind of a young boy against kind of grizzled veterans, wasn't it really? And I think that they have got a lot of work to do maybe in the summer, um, potentially, you know, in terms of rebuilding. I, I, I still think they'll go on and go on a little bit of run. Maybe Spurs will get top four, but I feel like Liverpool are probably favourite still for top four. Barry, did you see uh, Barney Ronay's press pass for this game? No. He tweeted it out. Uh, Baz Ball, its influence is everywhere. The chain of events that made Liverpool FC think that I am Joe Root may take some time to untangle, but I'm also still searching for my role in the England Test team. So there's that. Yes, Barney Ronnie with a big picture of Joe Root's face on it <laughs> for reasons that we have no idea. Um, Sid, c- can we move on to Barcelona? I'm, I'm just looking up reveal. Barney's Twitter here now. <laughs> I, I mean, Barney's looking good, to be fair to him. It's, 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 he is. Yeah, it's a nice picture, he? yeah. Um, uh, let's talk about Barcelona. Last week, uh, it revealed that uh, they've paid vice, the then vice president of Spain's referees committee, Jose Maria Enriquez Negrera, around seven million euros between 2001 and 2018, uh, which was the year he left his role with the referees committee. Why would anybody do that, Sid? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Um, and, and, and that is at the heart of all of this. And, and of course, there are so many questions that can be asked around this. And they all lead back and or they all feed into this fundamental thing, which is why are you paying the vice president of the referees technical committee uh, 7 million euros over an almost 20 year period? What are you getting in return? Now, the the explanation for this was that this referee was providing um, consultation, uh, refereeing information basically to to help Barcelona prepare their game. In other words, you know, you're playing this weekend and Max Rushton's referee and you've got to watch out for Max Rushton because he lets the fouls go. Or, or Barry Glendening, when he when he referees, he's very, very strict about talking to him. He never leaves the centre circle, yeah. the <laughs> I guess. This is, and this, this, this is obviously <laughs> extremely well-paid consultancy. Now, the one of the problems with this is, is that there isn't the documentary evidence that this referee provided consultancy, which, of course, he, he in the investigation has said that this was verbal consultancy. So it comes back to what are you really getting? Um, Now, there are lots and lots of questions that surround this. And I think it's worth pointing this out. This starts with a tax investigation because this referee had a company uh, and this company who essentially had had more than one, but only basically had one major client, which is Barcelona. That company was putting in invoices and declaring its tax on this. 
So, you know, this isn't, this isn't hidden in that sense for, for these services. But the tax um, office did a tax inspection because, uh, because of a series of uh, sort of things that didn't quite fit. They then discover this relationship or, or, or look into this relationship and think this doesn't fit because there's no evidence to, to, to confirm the fact that the services paid for had been services rendered. And so they pass it on to... Um, what's always referred to here as the fiscal, which I suppose it is in Scotland as well, isn't it? They're kind of the equivalent of the public prosecutor or the state attorney office to investigate this as a possibility of corruption between two parties. In other words, someone is getting paid some money for something that they don't appear to be doing. But then that, of course, then opens up the, the if you like, the investigation or the discussion into, into what is actually being given here. And that basically is where we're at. Barcelona came out and said... Um, this is this is paid consultancy, which is entirely normal. Every club does it, but of course that poses all these questions of what for, for as much as five hundred thousand euros a year over twenty years, when he's the president of the refereeing committee, when you stop paying him in the year when he stops, sorry, vice president of the refereeing committee, you stop paying him in the year when he stops becoming president, of, vice president of the refereeing committee, albeit you say it's because of financial reasons. Then more more elements to this story obviously are emerging all the time, and I think the most significant of them in terms of framing this and and. You know, of course, you have to be careful about about making assumptions. But one of the, you know, when you start asking all these questions, is that when he, when the club took the decision to stop paying him, he wrote to the club and said he took this as a personal insult. He took this as being um, the indication that he owed no fidelity to the current president at the time or the previous presidents, because this has been through four different presidents at Barcelona, um, and he said that you don't really want a scandal on your hands. I would rethink about this. You, you know, a scandal wouldn't be good for Barcelona. There are irregularities that I could point out. One thing I thought was really interesting from your article is sort of the lack of other teams jumping on this. Yeah, well, to be fair, that has changed since then. I was really, okay. really struck by this. You have, in, right, to give you an example, uh, what is it, two weeks ago, Atletico Madrid uh, lost in the Copa del Rey to, to Real Madrid. There's a couple of decisions that they were very unhappy about. Uh, Danny Ceballos should should probably have been sent off. Uh, at that point, Atletico are winning 2-1. They end up getting knocked out. Uh, Simeone said after the game, something along the lines of, it's happened again and no one seems to care. The club's uh, CEO uh, put out a statement the next day, basically saying, we all know how this works. Um, referees are conditioned by the environment around Real Madrid. You know, there's so much kind of implicit pressure that we know decisions always, basically, we know decisions always go Real Madrid's way. So in other words, without any evidence of, of anything in particular, there's a statement complaining. This is a country where clubs put out statements about referees rather often um, and, and informally do so as well. So, for example, if you don't get a statement, say, from, right, well, let's use the obvious example, Real Madrid, about a refereeing performance, you will get Real Madrid's media going for that referee. You, that, that will happen. So you get a kind of, if you like, this environment in which having a go at the referees is seen as fair game, which I think actually at times can be pretty grotesque. And you get this willingness to say things all the time. Then you get this. And here is a, a genuinely significant case, regardless of what the meaning is. And by the way, there, there are still, and talking to someone involved in, in, in the journalistic investigation of this the other day, suggestions that this 
is about robbing money more than about robbing games. That's one of the suggestions. But of course, you've still got to look at the optics and say, well, hang on a minute. If the mechanics were robbing money was that you somehow managed to create a situation in Barcelona where playing the vice president of referees committee, why did no one at least say, this doesn't look good? Regardless of what it actually is, this doesn't look good. Anyway, I mean, but, but in an, to, sorry, just very briefly to ask, answer your actual question, which I realise I haven't. I've gone round the houses. Which is to say that in a country where everyone moans and puts statements out about everything, no one said anything. That said, there has now been a joint statement from all of the other clubs except Real Madrid. Now, of course, you have to look at that in terms of the real politics, in terms of Madrid and Barcelona being partners in the Super League challenge against La Liga, in terms of Real Madrid not wanting to be seen to take on the side of the rest of the La Liga clubs, because Madrid and La Liga and Barcelona and La Liga do not get on at all. I mean, I love the idea that this guy, obviously we have no idea, it's a total charlatan, was just saying, yeah, I can help you with that, and actually did absolutely nothing. He just got millions and millions of euros. Like, amazing. He comes across in this extraordinarily badly. Um, and, and not just because of, you know, the obvious initial thing, but this response and this kind of, uh, this kind of extortionist thing of, you know, you want to think about this. Um, and, and as you say, I mean, it's not entirely impossible that, that this this once all the threads are pulled at kind of emerges as something different. But his role in this is extraordinary. And yeah, that I mean that's the, that's a question that's worth asking, which is that if if this is and there's been a suggestion from um, from some parts of the media and fan base that Barcelona are the victim here. Well, Barcelona as an institution may well be, but what exactly were they getting into, and what on earth were they thinking? You know, then as I say, let's go back to the La Liga president's uh, statement. Aesthetically and ethically, regardless of anything else, this isn't right. Um, it's worth pointing out this, by the way, just because it's something that I've I've seen repeated in terms of people's responses. La Liga and the Federation are not the same thing, and it is worth pointing out. In fact, they absolutely hate each other. Um, and so, this, I've seen a lot of people saying, "Well, you know, classic La Liga." Well, this is actually the referees depend on the Federation, not not on La Liga. Poor old Lee Mason just didn't draw a line, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Barcelona acknowledged that the club had paid the company, uh, which it described as, quote, an external technical consultant to compile video reports related to professional referees, quote, with the aim of complementing the information required by the coaching staff. It added that contracting the reports was a habitual practice among professional clubs. The club also criticised the timing of the revelation, saying it regrets this information has appeared just while the team is enjoying its best moment of the season. Yeah, I mean, just just to answer that, um, this is a this is a this is an investigation started by a tax investigation, led to going to the state attorney, found out by a media group. So the timing of this isn't about oh, Barcelona playing away. Well, well, why don't we put this out? And as you as you probably know, as in Spain, because it's always conditioned by this, there's this idea that well, it's come from Madrid. And Gerard Piquet had this. Um, I think it was on Twitch discussion with Ika Casillas where they where they kind of had a go at each other about this. And, and largely it started as being quite funny, but actually PK's tone by the end was, frankly, I thought a little bit unpleasant. And PK says, oh, you can believe what you want, the stories they give you in Madrid, but I'm not having this. Well, this was this story was broken by Ser Catalunya. Um, so, you know, this story didn't start in Madrid. What's the consequences of this? I mean, what, what, how does this play out? Good question. Um... The president of the league said that in terms of the sporting consequences, in theory, there there are none because this is the kind of um, the the kind of event, for want of a better word, uh, misdemeanor infraction that that has a time bar on it of three years. And Negreda was was uh, we we believe 
was kicked out of the club and well was was told him not his services no longer required in 2018. The Federation have said they're going to launch an inquiry. I suppose that there probably would be some criteria upon which action could be taken. There's been discussion here about whether UEFA or FIFA could do so, because, of course, the Federation belongs to UEFA and FIFA. And and so at that point, maybe you could be talking about, in the very worst case scenario, some sort of very, very serious sporting penalty. But, of course, there there is a huge amount more to demonstrate or to prove or to, to accuse before you reach that point. Uh, the the damage though is 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 obviously enormous and 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 you know obviously you look at the the information there and regardless of what is actually you know the end game in this or the actual consequences of it um it it's it's really 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 bad and just before we end the Sidlow podcast uh, Andrew <laughs> says can Sidlow convince me that Javi Gracia is a genius and will keep Leeds up. I don't know if I can. Um, and I, funny enough, I was talking to someone about this the other day because Javi Gracia was a manager I was really enormously impressed with when he was at Malaga in a really difficult situation. I thought because of the nature of that situation, which was a club that was being kind of broken up, that no longer had the money, that was losing its best players, that had to de- depend on on bringing younger players through and on being very even-handed and, and very calm in a, in a difficult situation, I thought he was perfectly suited to Valencia and it didn't work. I don't know enough about his time at Watford. So in that sense, you lot are better placed to judge what he'll be like in England than I am. Um, and it didn't work at Valencia, but I thought he was brilliant at Malaga in, in that sort of sense of being very calm. One thing I thought was interesting, though, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the decision was till the end of the season and then a view will be taken on his future. This feels very much like let's get someone in to sort this out. And then in the summer, we'll go for the man we really want who may or may not have been unable to come right now because he's already at another club. Yeah, he's on flexi time. Yeah, yeah, flexi time, so he can work weekends or just work midweek or whatever he likes. I think. Well, he's a football manager. Sorry. I should hope he can work weekends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's fifth choice and he's on a short-term contract. It doesn't really scream "We have faith in you," does it? But he did do a good job at Watford. Sid, uh, he got yeah. them to the eleventh, uh, got them to the cup final where they got absolutely smithereen by Man City, and I think. The problems at Leeds, they're easily identifiable. And I think they have the players to stay up. They have more than enough talent there to stay up, I think. But whether or not he'll be able to do it is is another story. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, All right, Sid, go away now. I will do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Cheerio. Uh, Sid Lowe out in Spain. That'll do for part one. Part two, we'll begin with Napoli's win at Eintracht Frankfurt. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST.
Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So in the other game in the Champions League yesterday, uh, Napoli won 2-0 at Eintracht Frankfurt. Archie, you were there. I mean, how good is it to see Napoli in the flesh? They are such an exciting team, aren't they? They are. I watched a bit of, of Napoli a, a few games in preparation for this and thought, maybe Frankfurt can still find a way through. No, for, Napoli are so good. I, I it, it was, I, I'd say a case of Napoli outclassing Frankfurt. They're just a level above. Watching Kvaratskhelia live, the way that he's skipping past players, that he doesn't let a penalty miss go to his head. His assist, that flick for the second goal, is outrageous. Lozano, the way that he plays that cross for the first goal and there is very little margin for error there. He, like, he's well covered, Osimen, But the fact that he has the confidence to just absolutely ping that ball into him was, was something else. And just how calm Napoli stayed, even when there were moments in the first half where Eintracht weren't really giving them much. But just every element of that team seems to work. And like, the way that also uh, Di Lorenzo... For the um, for the event that led to that penalty, as a as a fullback, you don't generally see players usually using their weaker foot, um, playing the ball inside much. And I know that that's a quality that top teams really value. Uh, the one occasion I got to work with Bastian Schweinsteiger, he was very much pulling that out as something that. He loved in all the greatest fullbacks that he ever played with. And it was one of the things that really caught Frankfurt by surprise. Until that moment, they looked capable of coping with them. But Frankfurt going forward, every time that they they thought they were in, Napoli would get a good six bodies between themselves and the ball and the goal. So, yeah, uh, su- superb by by Napoli and it still felt like they had a few more gears to go to as for Frankfurt uh Randall Colomuani is their star player uh Mario Goetze and Jesper Lindstrom have been pretty darn good this season as well but the moment that Colomuani got sent off you could tell that took the wind out of their sails not not just the team but also the fans as well and you sensed this is done as a tie yeah, I thought he was pretty unlucky to get sent off, but I understand why it's given. I mean, Clarence Celia Barry is something else, isn't he? Yeah, um, that back heel was just absolutely sublime. And I can't remember who played the ball through the middle, but uh, didn't didn't get who it was. But again, that was superb. But uh, the the Georgian Messi, he's been instrumental for Napoli this season, and I, they don't. I don't think they're in the conversation as potential. Champions League winner, but I think they're going to take some beating. I mean, they've lost three games this season. One in Syria, one was a dead rubber, I think, in the group stage against Liverpool. And in the Coppa Italia, they got knocked out of that, but only on penalties. And apart from that, yeah, two draws earlier in August. They've won every game since the end of August. And it's just remarkable. And and they will take a lot of beating in this tournament I suspect he is brilliant and Jonathan when you consider I mean obviously we'll talk about Victor Osman because he's also like incredible and, and scoring so many goals but like they who did they lose in the summer and, like Koulibaly and Senior Mertens I think they I think they're actually like they're 
they're in profit. They're a side at this level, you know, who could go on and win this. And I think it would be absolutely brilliant for this competition as well if someone that wasn't like a huge, like they're not a small side, but like, but not one of the fancied could could do it. I mean, if Napoli won the Scudetto and the Champions League in the same season, I think everybody needs to get themselves to Southern Italy because that would be some party um, and some celebration, to be honest. Obviously, so long since they won even, you know, the league, um, let alone and let alone the well, European competition. So the, the, I thought an interesting point from um, the, the manager was um, he, he said that they thrived in being an end-to-end game. And he said that they managed to get him into an into an end to end match, which they they enjoy playing in. And I wonder if that will maybe potentially cost them in the later stages, because I think a team with a bit of nous, maybe like a Real Madrid, someone who can s- slow the pace of the game, maybe and kill that sort of frenzied atmosphere of Napoli, um, might be able to stop them. But it would be a wonderful story. I mean, for me, Osimhen Oss- for me is the is the is the outstanding talent of this season in terms of just. It- exciting me personally like obviously from a Nigerian perspective if you've ever heard of the Nigerian artist uh, Fela Kuti he just reminds me of like a Fela Kuti sort of album or a concert like it's just all chaos just madness everywhere in terms of the the, the music and the style of Osimhen I mean the goal that he the penalty that he wins I know it was missed but that that sums up his game for me the way it's, it's like almost like a pickpocket just just sneaked in there and just caught caught the um the defender unaware um with his pace just so frenzied. I, re- I really like watching him. And I think he'd be perfect in the Premier League. I think I think he's a brilliant player, basically. Trash Grayley, obviously spoken about already, his dribbling ability. Those two, just the way they they combine, like that grace and then that, that madness as well. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to watch. And I think, you know, just going back to that Spalletti comment, he obviously kind of encourages that madness, if you, you get what I mean. They, they're really good in transitions, really quick, really sort of uh, fast-paced on the break. Lozano, um, I think at times it's a bit inconsistent and I wonder if that, you know, some of those players might, might cost them as the tournament goes on. But, you know, he, he was really good last night, for example, and he's another player with talent. Um, obviously hit the post in the build-up to that, to that penalty. Yeah, they're, they're, they're one of the best teams to watch definitely in Europe this season. And, you know, every Serie A game they've played as well is, is like a joy. So, yeah, if they won it, I, I wouldn't be against that. I think it would be a lot of fun. And the thing is, they're so far ahead in the Serie A title race that if they go deep into the Champions League there's a very good chance they will be able to focus only on the Champions League because they might have already wrapped up the title and uh, that would give them an advantage over their rivals you'd imagine There was just one moment that that you might not have seen on the telly last night which I thought summed up how much fun Napoli are having which is after there was a failed attack at one point Kvarat Skerlia actually just kind of like, he kept on jogging into the goal, like took a swing on it, like jumped up, <laughs> just had a little swing and then jumped back down again and carried on. I was like, yeah, you know, you're pretty relaxed. You know, you're in your flow if you're jumping on the crossbar mid game. That's great. Uh, tonight, Leipzig against Man City. No Laporte, no Stones, no Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Laporte and De Bruyne are both ill. Uh, Archie, Leipzig good on the counter, aren't they? Should City be wary? How do you see this going? Well, they managed to go 2-0 up against Real Madrid earlier this season and actually pull that through. So RB Leipzig should be respected. Uh, they've 
they they played very well as well away at Real Madrid earlier this season. Were probably unfortunate to get nothing from that. They are without Christopher and Kunku, uh, who is usually sublime. He played at the weekend, but has a muscle injury. They still have enough in their squad to be a banana skin for Manchester City. Dominic Soboslai has been very good for them this season. Timo Werner's not been doing too badly himself, has a point to prove, uh, particularly after what he's been saying about how he just wanted to leave England no matter how by the end and how um, yeah he felt mistreated by Thomas Tuchel, to sum that up. Uh, and yeah, uh, for for RB Leipzig, it's important that Zaver Schlager has a good game for them in in midfield. He is he's a very important player to to how they play. Uh, I'd still make Manchester City favourites for this, but this is a Leipzig side that have lost just one of their last twenty one games. I think it is. Uh, they are not a team that needs to be playing the ball out from the back. They're happy to be fighting for second ball to be pressing as you would expect from a Red Bull team. Also, sorry, uh, the Rasen Bull team. I, I think that the way Manchester City are looking right now, that they're going to have their opportunities. It's just a case of whether they take them. Um, I don't know if anyone heard Pep talking before this game saying, oh, you know, look, we'll just do our best. What will be will be destiny. It's already mapped out. We might get through. We might not. I don't really mind. I'm just going to have a glass of wine and watch Liverpool Real Madrid. And you're thinking, come on, mate. This is total nonsense. You're absolutely desperate to win the Champions League. Um, Inter Porto is the other game. Um, Jonathan, who's going through there, do you think? It's tough to say. I think both teams have had sort of up and down seasons. I wouldn't rule out Porto to be honest. I think they have they have got some talent. Um, Evan Nielsen up front. I think there's in, maybe some injury issues with him. I'm not sure it, how it will be. Uh, obviously, had Teremi, for example, uh, players like that. You know, Inter have had sort of fitness issues with Lukaku for the whole season, really, and kind of been 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 a bit up and down. Jeko obviously can come in. I, I think Inter, Inter will be the favourites, but I wouldn't rule out Porto. I think they they do have a lot of talent, and I, I'm not sure they'll go deep. But uh, they were in quite good form. Um, you know, in the early in the in the first rounds of the Champions League. So they're not to be kind of um, taken lightly. Just just going back to Pep, Pep's comments, if I may. I, 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 yeah, yeah, I please. Keep, I keep feeling that at some point Man, Man, Man City are going to get slapped by someone. And I'm waiting for it to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. But I, 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 don't, I don't know if it will be Leipzig, but I, I feel like they're going to take a beating at some point. Just in the sense that they're so um, open in, in defensive transition situations. And you mentioned that sort of Pep having having a glass of wine and kind of sitting back and enjoying himself and just and, and those sort of comments. And I know he is a bit of a, a master in those press conferences and he is quite quite clever in how he operates. But even going back to the game on Saturday when when people say, Well, I don't know how Manchester City didn't win that game, it was mainly because Bernardo Silva was playing left back. And they're still having these sort of tendencies to to sort of play. I know I know they're sort of changing the shape a little bit and and in a way it is quite an innovative tactically what what they're doing. But I really feel like there's at some point they're going to get caught out by somebody and 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 take a bit of a beating. So, I mean, for example, Napoli Man City would be a you know a wonderful um, next round game potentially if 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 it was to happen. Uh, I know there's a lot to go before that, but I ju- I just feel like with with City like just going back to what you said there, Max. There's a little bit of a kind of not blasé, but you know the vibe is a little bit kind of well you know what will be will be and 
I'm just wondering if at some point Man, Man City might take a bit of a, a beating from someone, but yeah, we'll come come back to that, I guess, at some point. I'm not sure if it'll be Leipzig. Well, no, 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 it's 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 on the tape. And, you know, as considering they've won so much, I'd, I'd quite like to see them. I think it'd be quite fascinating to see how they react on the end of a spanking since they've given so many. In, in terms of in terms of winning the Champions League, I just, can you win the Champions League with no, with no recognisable left back? I'm not sure. Germany either. won the World Cup with... No recognisable left back, to be fair. So who, who played left back? But they didn't play like someone like Bernardo Silva. Benedict Herverdes. Okay. Benedict, Benedict Herverdes played. Benedict Um That's a wonderful name. But he had he had some competency <laughs> as sort of that in that position. Like Who was the Silver. better left back, Bernardo Silva or Benedict Herverdes? Give me a call. Bernardo Silva. <laughs> uh, Melvin says, "What's the German for there is league? Es gibt Liga, I guess." Ashley says, "Ferrari, after years of Bayern dominance." Is this the year the Bundesliga race is thrown open? Could even Eintracht spur on from sixth? Judging from yesterday, I would suggest not. And uh, which of the Whoa. blue teams is the worst down at the Unterseiter? I don't know what the second question really means, but is there a title race? Come on, tell us for once that there might be. Look, we're more than halfway through the season, Max. I, I, I don't think we're in the might be. It is, and it's happening right now. The fact is there's only five points between the top six. In Germany, and you be nice about Eintracht Frankfurt. It's just that Napoli are that good. Okay, fair. Frankfurt fair. are having a really good season. This just happened to be where they got their their wings clipped, as such. Yeah, so you like Bayern a Bayern a top, but they've you know they lost their last game. They've only won two of the last five. Dortmund are on a great run. Union Berlin are on a pretty good run as well. Freiburg in fourth, and Leipzig. Leipzig in fifth, Frankfurt in, in sixth. Yeah, and you're right. There's five points separate those teams. I mean, it's great. It must be great. It is. It is. I'll, I'll run through the runners and riders quickly. Uh, Mario Goetze has been back to his best for Frankfurt. Jesper Lindstrom will go somewhere for big money, as will Randall Kolomuani, uh, which is a shame that that Frankfurt team will be broken up at some point, but they've been, have somehow built on the Europa League success. Leipzig, the fact that Christopher Nkunku's coming back could be a significant factor. The only team they've lost to recently is Union Berlin and Union Berlin are are managing to mount a title race despite having, on average, the least amount of possession per game. It's fantastic uh, what they're doing. They're just incredibly well organised, well drilled, and they have that Real Madrid-esque quality of not panicking. Um, and they do what good, well-run clubs do, which is they know how to um, replace players who who they might lose to bigger clubs in their system. Freiburg are quite similar in that sense. They've got maybe a little bit more attacking clout, play great one-touch football in their final third. Christian Streich has been there over a decade now. Um, And then, yeah, tied at the top on points with Union Berlin, Borussia Dortmund, who have won, I think it is now, eight games out of eight in 2023 have just been on a run, maybe had a bit of fortune as well. Um, but players who are out of form have come into form. Karim Adeyemi, who sadly picked up a, um, I think it was a, a hamstring injury at the weekend. I mean, that goal against Chelsea was sublime. You have uh, Emre Chan as well, who's been playing well. Who else? Uh, Marius Wolf, uh, who's become the new Kevin Grosskreutz, if you remember him. Um, he's, 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 he's all commitment. Uh, a lot of attitude, not the greatest amount of technical skill. Um, the fact is Jude Bellingham is no longer the headline at Dortmund, which tells you that other people are playing well. And then you've got Bayern, who, despite the fact that they lost their first game 
in 20 at the weekend. There's been talk of them being in crisis because of the performances recently. There's been the whole thing with Manuel Neuer's skiing accident in December. Uh, You then had his goalkeeping coach of a long time uh, being uh, sacked from the club and Neuer coming out and giving that big interview saying that, uh, you know, his, his heart was broken. Uh, by this, it, it it didn't feel so much uh, more like an interview. It, it it felt like one of those moments on a reality TV show um, that, that Neuer was addressing there. But that that's caused big big ructions. You had uh, or, or friction, even sorry. Uh, Serge Gnabry going to Paris Fashion Week caused caused uproar. Usual buying stuff. Anyway, long story short of this is. Bayern are still very good, but <laughs> you've got to believe. You've got to believe that there's something there. This weekend, Sunday, Bayern against Union. And the, the season that Union are having, you just never know. But Bayern need to lose at least another two games this season for them to lose the league, I think. But it's it's very exciting. Yes. Uh, you touched on it there, Archie. And... Uh, it- Manuel Neuer's skiing accident. I presume he wasn't supposed to be skiing. And, like, is he insured? Did the club go berserk with him? Or what happened there in the aftermath of that? I hope he's more insured than my Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> so there was no clause in his contract, Barry, that prevented him from skiing. That's the first thing to say. He has, has told of how he usually goes skiing. Um... And uh, it, it's a regular thing I've seen him post over the years about, yeah, off skiing now um, in the close season. And the way he says this accident happened was actually that he was going pretty slowly on just a usual run with his mates up the mountain. Uh, and uh, I think it was a hill even, he said. Um, and yeah, it was just something of a freak accident. It was certainly a freak accident if he was skiing up a mountain <laughs> rather than <laughs> yeah, down. True. <laughs> Good point. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that, it, regardless of if it is written into the contract or it isn't, players are going to uh, are going to yeah uh, take take time off how they want to. I mean. Julian Nagsman isn't a player, but he, he's into his extreme sports. So I don't think that he'd be against it for for his players. Now he would, probably. The fallout from it is that uh, Manuel Neuer's position as captain of Bayern is in doubt in the coming summer. They bought Jan Sommer uh, in, in January, who's come in and, and been quite good as well. I the big game for Bayern, regardless of how the Bundesliga is going, the, the really big thing for Bayern is to make sure that they get through in the Champions League against PSG. Uh, and the yeah. fact that Sommer... Which will be a different game, won't it? Because Mbappe will play the whole thing. I'm, I, I, I hate to interrupt you, Archie, but we've only got any other business. If you want to talk and say anything about Fulham... Let's go, let's go, let's go. We better move on. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but I think more extreme sports for footballers. I love the idea... I love the idea of, you know, going, well, uh, Yuri Tielemans is struggling, bobsleigh, brackets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Julian Nagelsmann's extreme trousers. <laughs> anyway, look, that'll do for part two. Any other business in part three? Hold up. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Let's start with Gareth Ainsworth. This is a lovely and quite long email about him from a Wickham fan, which feels a nice counterpoint to the depressing chat we had about uh, Manchester United's potential new ownership on Monday. Max and Pod, Wickham, like many clubs, there is a grand and shady conspiracy against us that means we don't often get a lot of attention uh, on the pod. Perhaps it's because of our American owners. However, I wanted to get in touch about Gareth Ainsworth leaving Wickham. Uh, he's gone to QPR. Like many other fans, I'm truly devastated he's leaving. He was a central part to our club's success and identity from signing as a journeyman winger who still had a bit of magic about him. He was as good at getting booked as he was at scoring goals from the right wing. He stepped up in a time of crisis at our club, not only saved us from relegation in 2013, in doing so he stopped the club entering into administration and possible insolvency. Uh, he personally took to paying out of his own pocket to ensure the club kept running. He took over in a genuinely dire condition, struggling in League Two, has left us as one of the established clubs in League One, now a regular threat for promotion, all on a minuscule budget. Shoestring doesn't even do it justice. He's been do it. He's been with us for so long it felt like he'd never leave. There were times before when Blackburn or Port Vale and others showed an interest, but for whatever reason Gareth stayed. It was a genuine point of pride that we built a history and foundation at the club. He took us to the championship and had us competing against the likes of Watford, fought our way to Wembley three times. We can all still remember that brief but wonderful 1-0 lead against Manchester City in the Cup. He's more than a manager to many Wickham fans. He's genuinely a saviour of our club. Without him, there's a good chance there would be no Mick Wickham. I really hope he succeeds at QPR. I still believe he'll be a Premier League manager one day. There's a tiny part of me that secretly hopes QPR doesn't go well and he comes back to take us to the Premier League. He's given the chair boys and the chair girls all so many memories that is ultimately what football is about at our level it's disappointing he won't be able to have a proper send-off but that is the nature of football he made us believe against the odds and has cemented himself as Wickham's greatest thank you Gaz believe and that is from Jake and yeah it'll feel weird Barry won't it just not him not being you know tight trousered winkle picked long-haired man at Adams Park I'm aware there's there's a, a well-documented beef between him and Sheffield United fans that dates back to his playing days, but apart from them, you'd struggle to find anyone who has a, a bad word to say about uh, Gareth Ainsworth, I think. He's done an unbelievable job at Wickham, and QPR are very lucky to have him, I suppose. And they've, they've had a weird season. Like, uh, at one stage, they were top, I think, uh, of the championship, and now they're in danger of relegation. Uh, I suspect he'll probably galvanise them and keep them up, but... Um, Good luck to him. And yeah, if I was a Wickham fan, I would be gutted. Ivan says, with so much crap out there at the moment, how heartwarming was it to watch Kem Semmer interviewed after Watford's win on Monday night? Not only does he suffer from a stammer, but speaking in his second language, took courage to speak on camera. Great role model for anyone. I don't know if any of you have seen the interview. Um, and I didn't know about this player, Archie, you're nodding. But yeah, Swedish um, international. And like, just full credit to him for... For doing that and it, I mean it shouldn't be a thing should it but like it, it it was wonderful to see as somebody who is used to 
players being on the other end of the mic from me. Huge courage from him to and to 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 be able to show that level of vulnerability in a sport which is not very forgiving when it comes to having weaknesses um which are which are visible so i wouldn't even term this as a as a weakness it's it's more that everyone tends to make these sorts of things into one so yeah um uh, i a huge amount of respect for uh the way that he 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 came out and uh and 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 gave the interview and uh, i hope that there's more of that to increase the the normalization of of what he has um as as somebody as somebody who also used to have a stammer when i was uh when i was a teenager not not to those levels but know what kind of goes through your head uh on on a more minor level at least so yeah huge respect for him Eve says, with Archie on the pod, can we get some proper airtime for Fulham, please? We'd love to hear the pod's opinion on whether Fulham might genuinely see some European football next season or whether we're just dreaming. Um, Joel, Producer Joel, how many minutes do you want to give Archie? On <laughs> Two minutes. Okay. Max, what a season. This is, this is mad. This is absolutely mad. Uh, I didn't expect anything like this and the fact is i i can remember chelsea fans singing more about we are staying up this season than i have fulham fans like and that was in the game where we beat chelsea this is it's it's crazy it's insane and i think from the outside looking in a lot of people may think well it, it's down to mitrovic but there's just so many players who are performing out of their skin. Tim Ream is the first one I have to mention. Your favourite player, Max. He has been in superb form at the back and even though he's entering his his late 30s. Kenny Tete, uh, right back. No Premier League winger seems to be able to get past him right now. Bernd Leno uh, in line for being one of the signings of the season as well has helped to some fantastic shithouse wins at uh, Leicester and uh, and uh, most recently Brighton as well. And this isn't to mention Jao Palinia, who is probably the best defensive midfielder I've ever seen play for Fulham. I his his ability in in the tackle is quite something. Um, and yeah, Marco Silva is the mastermind of all this. The one thing that, of course, sours all of this is how the club continues to try and milk the fans and that it looks like there is some sort of a, a protest, at least in terms of how tickets are being bought for the cup game against Leeds next week, where they're charging fans 40 quid, which is actually some of the lower prices that they've been charging this season, uh, which is still a, it's a shame because... I love what the club's doing on the pitch. I hate what they're doing off the pitch. And yeah, it's a season with many great memories. I was actually down under when we beat Chelsea. I cried, Max. I cried. It was a moment I will never forget because we've been waiting 16, 17 years for that moment. Chelsea always seemed to beat us or we never seemed to beat them, no matter how good a position we got into. So 
yeah, it's a pretty good time to be a Fulham fan right now. And I think we can qualify for Europe. Going into this weekend, if we beat Wolves, we're within a point of the top four. Oh, that's two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we've had your time. We've had your time now. Benji Thank says, following, but I'm pleased for you. <laughs> Benji says, following on from things that people have done while listening to the show, it's not quite a vasectomy, but I did hit my first ever hole in one while listening to the pod today. I'm open to interviews if you want to write a full column on it. Many congratulations, Benji, as someone who's hit a lot of golf balls and never got even close. Uh, wonderful achievement. We'd like to know which bit specifically who was talking when the when the ball went in. That's a that's a key question. Isn't it? And I think tradition dictates that Benji has to buy everyone who was on that particular pod a drink, doesn't we it? We expect a case, yeah, a case of fine wine to be sent to every panellist, uh, to me, Barry, Jordan, and John Bruin. Uh, Jordan's dad, Brian G, got in touch. Uh, I did check if Brian's takes were not as hot uh, uh, <laughs> as, as his son's, because we could always do a substitution, uh, Jordan suggested. Uh, apple and tree come to mind so perhaps we can get them both on a pod for many hot takes and uh, david says after the father revelations on monday max given your dad was a medical director of Addenbrooke's in the 90s how disappointed is mr rushton senior dr rushton senior to you that you have ended up presiding over this shambles three times a week podcasts are all very well but when will you get a real job it is a question he has asked me on numerous occasions, but look, getting away with it for now. Didn't have time to get to Daniel Farker uh, complimenting you on your colourful jacket, Archie, but well done for that. Uh, that was nice. Edin Terzic wasn't quite so complimentary. Can't have everything. He said, uh, I was the most confident man he'd ever seen for, for wearing the jacket, but we're going to keep going with it. Mate, but you should have given it to Serge Nabry and he could have worn it on the catwalk at Paris, couldn't he? But Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, thanks, Baz. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Max. Cheers, Archie. Thank you. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 